invite you to take your Bible and turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. Book of 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you're finding your way there, I want to I want to begin this morning by reminding all of us of a parable that Jesus once told. You can go and read it sometime. It's in Luke 18. Um, don't want you to turn there now. You can just listen as I read the words of Jesus. Luke writes, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, there's a reason why I want you to have that parable in your mind as we read from 1 Peter 2. Why, why is that? Because I, I worry that as we read our passage this morning, some of us are going to be tempted to go the way of the Pharisee, not the way of the tax collector. The Pharisee puffed up his chest and he looked around and he thanked God that he was not like all these various sinners. The tax collector, on the other hand, bowed his head. And while he may not have physically looked up, he didn't look around, but he looked up, if you catch my drift. And he saw the holiness of God. And he saw, in light of God's holiness, his own sin. And he confessed that sin, and he pleaded with God to be merciful to him. And Jesus says that it was the repentant tax collector who went home justified that day, not the boastful, finger-pointing Pharisee. And Jesus concludes with a promise and a warning. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, our passage in 1 Peter this morning has to do with being subject to governing authorities. I didn't plan it this way. There's no way I could have. I, I could not have predicted a couple months ago that on the Sunday that I preached this passage that there would be various protests and some of them more violent, uh, rioting and looting and that sort of thing. It just happens to be the next passage up as we make our way through this letter. But with all that's sort of going on in our country the past two weeks, I am, I'm mindful of the peculiar temptation for us to play the role of the Pharisee and that as we wrestle with this passage, you're going to be tempted to think of others who have acted in a way that, that you think does not live up to what this text calls us to be and to do. And in so doing, you're going to be tempted to exalt yourself, to imagine that you're somehow better than them. And even as I say those words, you may be thinking in your mind, I am better than them. So I want to warn you in love with the words of Jesus. Luke tells us that he spoke that parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous 
and treated others with contempt. And the bottom line was, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so my prayer is that you and I will be on the right side of that contrast this morning. And if we're not, I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin and humble us by God's grace and change us. So let's read together in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's pause there and pray together. Lord, we're thankful for your word and how it challenges each and every one of us. And I pray, Lord, with everything in me, I pray that by your spirit you would remove from all of our hearts this morning that desire to look around at others and to point the finger at them in an attempt to make ourselves feel better about what we think and what we've done or what we haven't done. And God, that every single one of us would place ourselves under your authority. And God, that we would place ourselves under your microscope. And Spirit of God, that you would convict us of our sin, not of the sin of our neighbor, not of the sin of the person on the opposite side of the aisle, so to speak, but that you would convict us of our sin. And God, that uh, we would be like the tax collector who in the end says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So Lord, would you take away any pride, any, any swagger in our step, and God, help us to be humbled because you have promised us that the one who humbles himself before you will be exalted. God, we pray that you would do this by your grace and for your glory, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so what I want to do here is, in order for us to, to make sense of what Peter says in these five verses, we need to remember the context in which he says this. So last Sunday morning, we, we slowed down and we, we really took our time in verses 11 and 12. And I want you to glance back with me at those two verses that came right before this passage. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I summarize the big idea of, of those two verses by saying that our conduct is crucial to our mission. Our conduct is crucial to our mission. It's not that we can simply live good lives and expect that unbelievers will simply see our good works and automatically put their trust in Christ. But if our conduct is honorable and pure, it's, a, it's like our conduct becomes a visual aid to where it helps unbelievers to see the beauty of the gospel that we proclaim. They, they want to listen to it. On the other hand, if our conduct is poor 
we obscure the beauty of the gospel under the ugliness of our sin. So our conduct is crucial to our mission. And what Peter's going to do now, he's going to walk us through some specific examples of what that means in day-to-day life. So today's text is about how followers of Christ relate to governing authorities. But notice how he begins in verse 13 by saying, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then he goes on to say, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors and so forth. And then look down at what he says in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now we're going to deal more in depth with that passage next Sunday, Lord willing. But it falls under the same category of being subject to human authority. Even if the one in authority over us is an unbeliever, be subject not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now look down at chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So all of this falls under that, that same big idea of our conduct is crucial to our mission, and one of the ways that that plays itself out in real life is that we... As followers of Christ, we live under the authority of people over us, whether that's governing authorities, whether that's uh, in the workplace or in the home or whatever the case may be. So in every sphere of life, at home, at work, in public, our conduct is crucial to our mission. When a person takes the name of Jesus to themselves, when they call themselves a Christian, when they claim to follow Christ, for better or worse, what we do and say reflects on Him. I want to I make sure we don't gloss over this point. Of course, if, if an unbeliever hears the gospel and they refuse to trust in Christ, they are ultimately responsible. But if you're a follower of Christ, should it not be sobering to know that the way I live, the way I speak, the way I act, at home, at work, at school at the local restaurant, at the ball field, online, wherever people can see me, the way I live and speak and act, it can either have a magnetizing effect where it it draws people to Christ or it can have a repulsive effect where it pushes them away. One way we could say it is that our conduct can be a means that Satan uses to further blind unbelievers to the light of the gospel. If I'm a, if I'm a hypocrite, then Satan can take that and, and use that in the life of an unbeliever for them to harden their heart even more and say, yep, I was right about those people. On the other hand, our conduct can be a means that the Holy Spirit uses to create a willingness in an unbeliever to listen to the truth of the gospel. To say, I don't know what that person has going on in their heart, but I, I want to hear about it. So we must not be careless with the way we speak and the way we act. We, we sometimes think that what we do and say has absolutely no consequences. But what I want you to hear is that for an unbelieving acquaintance, what you say and what you do, if, you're, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, it may be the difference between heaven and hell for them. I said last week that our, our starting point cannot be what do, other, what do unbelievers deem honorable? 
Um, Peter says, keep your conduct among unbelievers honorable. But starting point can't be that because depending on which unbelievers you survey, you could get drastically different answers to that question. So our starting point has to be, who is God? What is He like? What has He done? And what does He require of us? And the same principle is at play in our passage this morning. When we talk about being subject to governing authorities, to human authority, we have to start with the fact that the only reason human authority exists is because God is in supreme and ultimate authority. So no human authority is primary. God alone is supreme. Our submission to human authority then is both required by God's authority and it is limited by God's authority. So when you, when you really boil it down, those are the two truths that, that balance one another, two counterbalancing truths here that I want us to meditate on and think about in this passage. The first truth is that God's authority requires our submission to human authority. God's authority requires our submission to human authority. In other words, if you go around living your life in such a way that you don't want anyone else to have any say over you, then you're not ultimately just being an individualist. You're not ultimately just being a lone wolf or a maverick or whatever you want to call yourself. You are rebelling against the Word of God. You are disobeying Him because He is the one who has said to you that you must be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. What I want you to notice here in this passage is how over and over Peter tells us to be subject to human institutions but he does that by establishing that command on the basis of God's authority. He does not simply say, be subject to every human institution. He says in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now in Peter's context, he was talking about the Roman Empire. He says, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, of course, we don't live in a society in which we have an emperor, but we can understand the analogy of being subject to human authority at various levels. He's not just saying you, you, you owe you know, some kind of honor to the, the highest authority, human authority, but you know, when it comes to people under that, don't worry about it. No, in our case, whether it's the Constitution or to laws, to a president or a governor or a judge or a mayor or anyone else up or down that chain, we're called to be subject to every human institution. The key is, though, that we submit to those authorities not for their sake because we have some sense of civic duty to them. We submit to them not for our own sake because we understand that Probably that's best for our self-preservation. But we submit most of all for the Lord's sake. We submit to human authority because we're submitting to the highest authority, the Lord. So what should be clear then is that all human authorities are themselves subject to the Lord. There is only one sovereign in the universe. And it's not Caesar. It's not the president. It's not even the Constitution. It is the Lord. Everyone else and everything else is under His authority. And the reason that followers of Christ should be subject to human institutions is because that is what the Lord has commanded us to do. Listen, notice what Peter says in verse 15. He says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
God's will is primary. It's the reason why we should do good. Not because the government says we should do good. Not because we just feel in our heart that that's what we should do, but because this is God's will. By doing good, we silence the ignorance of foolish people who would otherwise try to speak ill of us. Our conduct is crucial to our mission. Notice what he adds in verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So freedom is not an end in itself. If you have been set free from sin, your freedom is not a weapon to wield against others, to assert your rights over them, nor is it an excuse to go on sinning. You have been set free from sin in order to become a servant of God. And the reason we should be subject to human authority is not because we are their servants, but because we are servants of God. We obey Him, and He calls us to be subject to those lesser authorities. So the first truth is that God's authority requires our submission to human authority. And then here's the second truth that balances the first Not only does God's authority require our submission, but it also limits our submission to human authority. No human authority, no matter how high or how low they are, has boundless reign over us. In verse 17, Peter gives four rapid-fire commands. He says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So just notice there, Christians should show honor to everyone, including those in authority. Notice how he says, honor everyone, honor the emperor. And we should love one another, love the brotherhood, as Peter puts it. But notice the command about God, fear God. We honor everyone, including those in authority. We love the brotherhood. We love other believers. We love the church but we fear God, which is to say there is a kind of reverence and worship and trust that belongs to God and God alone. Our supreme allegiance is to Him, not to the country where our earthly citizenship rests, not to our place of residence, not to an earthly human heritage, not to a politician or party. Our supreme allegiance is to God alone. And because He is our highest authority, our submission to any lesser authority is not boundless. There are limits to it. There's a way that we could wrongly apply what Peter says here when he says be subject to every human institution. And many people have wrongly applied this principle throughout history. They, they treat human authority as if it is boundless and should never be questioned. So that, that kind of application has been used to keep people in their place, as it were, to keep slaves from pursuing their freedom. I mean, I'm sure that there's plenty of slave masters back in the day who would quote 1 Peter 2, 13. Be subject For the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Of course, I'm sure they love verse 18 too, but we'll deal with that next week. This wrong application has been used to keep women or children living in abusive homes. Be subject. 
for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. It's been used to keep minorities from opportunity. This is the way it is. It's been used to keep employees in toxic environments. And sadly, it's even been used to keep church members under the thumb of domineering false shepherds. But the fact that God is our highest authority means that there are limits to our submission to human authority. Now, let's be clear. When Peter was writing this letter, telling these followers of Christ to be subject even to the emperor, it's not like the Roman emperor was a godly man. The the guy that Peter tells these people to be subject to is a guy who would later kill Peter. He's going to be executed by the man whom he tells these people to be subject to. So it's not that we should only be subject to human authorities when they happen to be followers of Christ. It's not that we should only be subject to human authorities when they are morally perfect or when we agree with everything they say and do. Even if the person in office, whether that's the Oval Office or City Hall or the police office, even if there's someone for whom we, we don't really have any respect, God still calls us to honor them, not necessarily to obey their every directive, but to show honor. So how do we do that? How do we, what does it mean to honor someone in authority, especially when there's someone that we don't respect or agree with? What means that we show respect, uh, that we speak respectfully of them, but it does not mean that we can never question them or challenge what they have said or done. It means that we obey them so long as their directives don't contradict God's word. But it does not mean that we subject ourselves to their abuse or turn a blind eye when they abuse others. Uh, Nixon has started asking this, this question where he'll say, Hey, Daddy, when, when we get home, can I do whatever I want to do? <laughs> and I've, I've discovered that what he means is he has something in his mind that he wants to do. You know, maybe it's he wants us to, to get out my computer and find a T-Rex coloring page and he wants to color it. He's got, usually got something in his mind that he means when he says, can I do whatever it is that I want to do? But I can't in good conscience give him that kind of blank check, can I? I can't say, sure, man. Do whatever you want to do because what he wants to do may be something awful that would be very harmful to him. He might want to set our house on fire or something like that. No, if you mean set our house on fire, no, you cannot do whatever you you want to do. But sure, if you want to color a T-Rex page, by all means, let's do that. So because I have authority over him, there is some, some freedom there, but there's also limits to it. And this is what I mean when I say that God's authority limits our submission to human authority. That no leader, no law, no nation lives above or outside God's authority. We're all under His jurisdiction. We're all accountable to Him. And God alone deserves our supreme allegiance and worship and trust. For us to give that to anyone else, for us to give that kind of allegiance to whether it's a politician or a government official or a spouse or a parent or an employer or anyone else, that would not only be wrong, it would be idolatrous. It would be blasphemous because no human authority is boundless. They're always limited by God's authority. So if any, if any lesser authority ever attempts to defy or to subvert 
what God has commanded us to do, we are obligated to obey the Lord and not men. I began this morning by, by warning us about the temptation of, of looking around and, and wagging our fingers at people out there who have not lived up, in our opinion, to what God calls us to do in this passage. It would be very easy with all that's going on in our country right now for us to, to scoff at those who we, we think have acted lawlessly. But I just want to reiterate the warning that I began with this morning Be careful. Be careful not to trust in yourself that you are righteous. Be careful not to treat others with contempt. As Jesus put it in that parable, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If there's one takeaway that I could point us to this morning, something that applies to every single person, no matter who they are, it's this, we are all under a higher authority. We're all under a higher authority. Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. There's there's nobody who escapes that. No one has immunity from his authority. No mayor and no governor No protester and no police officer. No rioter and no looter. No judge, no legislator, no president. We're all subject to a higher authority. And nothing, not a law, not a piece of graffiti, not an executive order, not an act of violence, nothing can change or diminish the authority that he wields with his word. And every single one of us has rebelled against him. Every single one of us has acted lawlessly. Yet he sent his own son to bear the punishment for our rebellion, even to become our sin. You cannot be in right relationship with God so long as you are exalting yourself over others and looking at them with contempt. To me... This is what makes me so sad and so sick when I, when I see what's going on in our country is because what I see is a lot of people who are exalting themselves and looking at others with contempt. And Jesus says, if that's what's going on in your heart, you're not going to be right with God. If, however, if you will humble yourself and confess your sin and ask Him for mercy... He has pledged himself to give it to you. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted and given mercy. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for how you challenge us in your word. And Lord, there is none of us who could walk away from this word unchecked or unchallenged. And God, I pray as we, as we go our way today that you would, by your Spirit, not only in this moment, but in the hours and days to come, that you would continue to help us not to, not to think ourselves righteous and to look on others with contempt, but that we would humble ourselves before you 
Lord, that every one of us would continue to search our heart knowing that as long as we're on this side of heaven, we're never going to find the end to our sin. We're never going to reach a a place where we can stop confessing and repenting our sin to you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue to do that heart work of weeding out whatever is in us that is not of you and to continue to cultivate in our hearts those virtues that are like your character. But Lord, more than anything else, what I pray right now is that, is that everyone who is hearing my voice, that they would not be putting their trust in their own righteousness. Lord, nor would they be in despair because of their lack of righteousness. But Lord, that together we would all look with eyes of faith to see the perfect righteousness of Jesus, who lived a sinless life in our place, who never exalted himself over anyone else, who, who never had a wayward thought, never a sinful deed. And yet he became our sin. He took our place. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. And God, that we would together look to him and trust in him and follow him. Lord, help us not to go the way of the Pharisee, but Lord, help us to go the way of the tax collector today to say to you, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.